The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning, and welcome once again to Inside Transformational Leadership. I'm Kate Ebner, and my guest today is someone who's been thinking long and hard about leadership, and especially leadership in the federal government. Bob Tobias is a a professor at American University. He has also founded a program called the Key Executive Leadership Program, and he directs the Institute for the Study of Public Policy Implementation that really brings together members of Congress, political appointees, career executives, union leaders, academics, and others in the consulting community to talk about and attempt to resolve public policy implementation issues. Um, Bob has been working with leaders in government for many years, and his, the program he's created, the Key Executive Program, is known to be really the gold standard of leadership programs for people in senior level uh, leadership roles in government. I'm delighted, Bob, that you're here with me today. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm I'm thrilled that you're here, especially because, you know, here in Washington, we have so much conversation about um, governance and the challenges of government, and we're so affected by it. We really are sort of front row spectators to what's happening in the government. And this is a place where you've really invested your career to um, not only to to learn and apply concepts in leadership, but actually to work with leaders who are doing that. I'd love to just start by having you give us a little bit of your background and sort of what led you in this direction. Um, well, for 31 years, I was with the National Treasury Employees Union, uh, first as the general counsel and then as an elected national executive vice president, and then 16 years as the president of the union from 1983 to 1999. And I left um, the union in 1999 and came to AU because I wanted to teach and I wanted to create what later became known as the key executive leadership certificate program. It was unnamed only nascently in my brain um, at the time. And what I wanted to do was, what I thought I wanted to do was um, expose um, federal leaders to collaborative labor management relations, how to behave collaboratively. And um, I, I wanted to do that because as the president of the union, I um, had... Um, been involved with many managers at all letters who at all levels who said they wanted to be collaborative but 
actually had no idea of what that meant in terms of a relationship with the other or what they would have to do to create a collaborative relationship. And so that was what my goal was. And when I came to AU, the more I read, the more I thought, it occurred to me that really collaboration is such a critical element of leadership generally that I wanted to create a program that was really centered on leadership development as opposed to skill development. I wanted to focus on a program that helped people to develop themselves as leaders um, and to become able to create an environment where those they lead are willing to give their discretionary energy to them to accomplish their goals and objectives. Wow. I love, I love how you've described that. And it sounds like, you know, I, I, you, I had the good fortune of hearing the, some of the founding story of your key executive leadership certificate program. And I want to go to that in a minute, but first I want to ask you what was so important to you about designing something that would get people to step beyond thinking of leadership as skills and thinking of it in a, you know, elevating the, the learning from sort of a skill-based perspective to something bigger? Well, it was clear to me that I knew a lot of people, managers and leaders, uh, who were, you know, subject matter experts. And even I knew fewer, but some who um, could use the language of leadership skills were unable to practice those skills, were unable to implement those skills. So they had intellectual understanding, but were unable to apply them. So that's what led me to, so what is the essence of what that's all about? And it occurred to me that leadership starts with the leader and not the led. It's not about manipulating people to do something. Rather, it's about what behavior do I need to change in order to make the connections that I need to be successful? And when I got onto that, it was very clear to me that it was much more than skills. It was about developing me as a person, developing leaders as a person. So creating a program that challenged people to develop and then measuring the success of the program on whether they actually changed their behavior was really what I was interested in doing. Now, when you created this program, um, Bob, and now I'm kind of cueing you to tell us a little bit of the founding story because it's such a great story. You know, it, 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 I think those of us who do work we love, we, we like to think, well, if we build it, they'll come because it's going to be so helpful. But um, back when you first conceived of this idea, how did you really get this program off the ground? Well, um, so the first class was in '02, and um, uh, we had five students in the cohort. Um, that would not be described as a cost-effective number of students to launch a program, but I had five, and so we did it. And you know, that's before we have um, emails, and people are regularly using emails, and email addresses are available. So it was all by mail and by telephone call, um, calling up agency people and saying, send some people to this program. It'll be great. 
And they said, well, how long has this been in existence? And I said, well, this would be the first cohort. And the regular answer was, thank you very much. And, you know, the implication being, call me back after you're after you've done this a few times. So I finally got five people um, in the cohort. And then, um, so that was the first year in September. The program runs eight months. There are eight courses. Each course is four days. And um, in addition to the coursework, we um, include two 360-degree um, evaluations one at the beginning of the program and one a year later, to measure progress. And the progress, in this sense, was how they are viewed by those they lead, their peers, and their superiors. And we use, the instrument we use is um, the Hay Group 360-degree evaluation, which provides data in terms of emotional intelligence, and I believe that um, that's a, a developmental element that's critical to effective leadership. So measuring progress was an important part of of, um, of, of, of the program. So the second cohort, in the second year, uh, we got up to 12. In the third cohort, we got up to 15. Our goal was 20. And then the fourth cohort, um, I was only able to get five, and I couldn't run it at five, so I canceled it, and I was, you know, ready to throw in the towel. And I had been working with the um, Department of Agriculture and saying that they could use the program to fulfill their SES CDP of formal education requirements. And out of the blue, they called and said, we would like to send three cohorts of students to your program. Wow. So they saved us. They saved you. And you've been running strong ever since from all, all reports that I've heard. You know, what, what have you learned from from... You know what? What now is really a, a large body of of work. You know, bringing these leaders through this program. You know, have you learned? What have you learned about teaching leadership to people in these government leadership roles? Well, first of all, um, I am constantly um, energized by the people in this program, and these are mid level. Um, managers who come to this program because they want they want to be better. They're puzzled by why they're not better. They're puzzled by why they have that big scab on the middle of their forehead from banging against a wall that doesn't go down. So the people who come are really eager to be better. Now that's good for the program, but it's also good for the public that there are leaders in the federal government who want to be better. They want to figure out how to be more effective, how to create an environment where those they lead are more productive. So that's, you know, so it's a, a, a great place to be as a, um, as a professor. And I guess what I've learned is that um, 
when the issue is framed in what do I need to do differently and better than what I'm doing now, it opens up a whole world that many people have never explored. And so we create a very safe environment where people can explore who they are, who they want to be, and what keeps them from getting there. So it's safe in a cohort environment. Our programs are all cohorts where people are together over the entire period of time. So they learn how to trust each other. They learn how to be vulnerable with each other. They learn how to ask for help from each other. And they're constantly challenged to apply what they're developing in themselves in their workplace. So what I've learned is giving people an opportunity to be safe, challenging them to change, they'll do it. And it's wonderful to be part of that. You know, I, I, um, I so enjoy hearing you talk about this and thinking about the care that you've put into creating that environment. And, you know, I wonder, given the length of your career and, and your um, personal experience as a, a leader in, go- in the government sector, are you, you know, we've had such challenges in recent years. You know, people talk about how stuck things in our government are, how broken things can be. And, you know, it's a negative story about uh, leadership and government. And what I'm hearing in your story is, is a positive story about um, giving leaders an opportunity to, to think and learn in a different way and really open things up um, for, for them and for their potential. And I wonder, you know, we just have probably about two minutes before we take a break, but what are you most proud of about the program you've created? I'm proud that people at the end of the program can articulate in a clear way to themselves and to those they lead who they are and say to those they lead, this is who I am and I'd like you to hold me accountable for who I am and what I'm trying to do in the workplace. We ask people to create a leadership philosophy and articulate it to those they lead and to hear what they say at the end of the program in comparison to what they could not say at the beginning of the program is humbling. Wow. And, you know, what, what, uh, what is um, coming to my mind is, is the question, like, how did you do that? <laughs> what was the experience that they had that led them down this path and sort of through this across this threshold. And, you know, I think when we come back from the break, I'd love to also talk about um, the word you used early on, collaboration. You know, this the need for people to not just intellectualize the idea of collaboration as a core leadership strength, but actually learn how to do it and how to perhaps let go of some other leadership behaviors. So those are at least two things, Bob, I'd like to talk about when we come back. How does that sound to you? I look forward to it. Okay, great. Well, For those of you who've joined us, we're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership today. My guest is Bob Tobias, and he is uh, the architect of the Key Executive Leadership Certificate Program at American University. Um, He has a lifelong career in government and 
leadership and how to create transformation through the combination of the two. So we'll be back after this break to learn more from Bob. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today, Bob Tobias, is a frequent contributor to the Federal Times, to the Government Employee Relations Report and Government Executive Magazine. He's a writer, a thinker, and a leader in the design of leadership development programs for 
uh, executives in government. And Bob and I today are talking about what he's created at American University. And I uh, wanted to, to return, Bob, to the conversation we were having before the break about um, the experience that you're giving students. And you ta- described it as a cohort-style experience. Uh, how large is a cohort? Maximum 20 students. Um, 18 to 20 students is the perfect size. It gives everyone time to speak, to be heard, to challenge others, and to be part of the part of the uh, process. If you get more than 20, um, people can hide, and I, I don't want people to hide. I want them to be all in all the time. When people come to the program, do they are they coming um, out of their own? Um you know, volition, I really want to do this, or have they been enrolled by their employer, um, some combination? Who comes? Um, Most people who come to the program um, come based on competition. The the agency announces that they're going to send people to the program and people apply and are selected. Um, But I reserve the right to, um, even though agencies select people, I consider them a nomination, and we interview every single person who comes into the program and have a conversation about what the expectations are for students in the program. And there are really two um, major uh, expectations, uh, maybe three. One, that, um, that they're hungry to learn. Are you hungry to learn? Are you hungry to learn something, or are you doing this just because you want to check the box? Um, because hungry to learn is really um, what we want in in people who participate in this program. And what that means is that you have to read the assigned reading material before you come. Um, there's reading in a certificate program, which is unusual, but it's necessary for you to be prepared to um, talk about your problems in the workplace. So the professors in the program are really facilitators of the uh, material assigned with the students to address the problems they're facing in the workplace. So if they haven't read, all they're doing is talking about what they already know rather than struggling to apply what they've read to the problems they're facing. And the third factor um, we're looking for is someone who's willing to be, as I said before, all in. And what that means is that I'm willing to take risks, that I'm willing to challenge myself, that I'm willing to challenge others, that I'm willing to experiment in a safe environment so that things happen. So um, setting those expectations are an important part of the program. So and so, you interview each candidate and explore those topics with them, and then they come into a cohort of twenty. And how long does your program last? Uh, most of the programs last eight months, and as I said, each course is four days. So they're they're together over a period of time, and it's designed so that you come for a class for four days, and then. Um, there's a month between the conclusion of one class and the beginning of the next class. And um, you you use that time to read the material to prepare for the next class. 
but also for applying what you've learned in the workplace. And then you come back and you say, well, Bob, that was very interesting, but didn't work for me. Or, well, Bob, that really worked well, and here's why. But it doesn't really matter about success and failure. What matters is that people try and come back and share their experience for others. That's what's important. Yes, it absolutely is. You know, it's it's um, wonderful to hear the thought and care that you put into creating a cohort and making sure people really understand what they're committing to, which really creates conditions for wonderful learning and engagement with the whole cohort. Um, I wanted to ask you about sort of what you, what inspired you in the first place, which which you mentioned the word you know the need for collaboration. How is collaboration? developed or taught in your program? Well, it's evolved over time. I mean, adult development was just in, you know, its nascent stages. It wasn't front and center, and we didn't have um, the language around um, the um, uh, around adult development and interdependent, interdependent collaborator that's necessary at a certain adult development level and what that would mean in terms of um, additional um, personal development in order to achieve that adult development level. But now we do. And so the program has evolved to incorporate that language and that learning into the program. So we're a values-based program. Um, uh, Leaders, I think, need to have values, so we challenge them to create values, but we also offer values, um, extraordinary leader values, and um, they include exhibiting a passion for improving public service. I don't think it's possible to be an effective leader without passion, and in this case, since they're public leaders for public service, that they lead authentically, they make a choice to lead authentically which means that um, I have a commitment to know and continue to discover who I am, and I have a commitment to relational transparency, that I have a commitment to learning and working collaboratively, that I have a commitment to becoming a force for personal and organization change, for acting with integrity, for modeling the behavior I seek, And finally, empowering others to action. And really, the the six values prior to empowering others to action puts me in a place where I'm willing to empower others to action. And I'm able to empower others to action. The greatest failure of leaders in the federal sector is they... Um, are selected because of their subject matter expertise. They continue to believe they must be experts in the workplace, so they delegate nothing and do everything. And soon they crash and soon they burn, but often are left in the position notwithstanding crashing and burning, notwithstanding the inability to empower others to action. So if we're going to have leaders who lead, who spend time leading, rather than being subject matter experts, they must empower others to action. 
I, I'm, I'm enjoying hearing you describe the values, you know, that are really at the core of your design and, and also that really invite people to make this shift from, you know, perhaps a, a more of a manager oriented approach to a real leader oriented approach. And, um, I've been wondering, as you've been talking about your own background and your, the leadership role that you played for so many years at the National Treasury Employees Union, and how do you think, Bob, that your own experience of leadership has influenced your your own philosophy? Well, greatly. Um, I started as the general counsel for the union in a time when um, it was all about competition. It was about winning and losing. Um, I started in um, uh, 1969, and the Federal Labor Management Relations Program was only six years old. It was governed by an executive order, um, and even though... It was supported by the president, you know, creating a labor management relationship was supported by the president. Political appointees who are short-term leaders in government are not interested in dealing with unions. And so it was very, very difficult. So the idea was win, get attention and win. And that approach lasted um, for me until about 1980. <clears throat> and there was a switch for me after a long, extended uh, struggle with an agency where we negotiated for two years, and at the end of two years, there were still 315 unresolved issues. And we went to arbitration and finally resolved all of these issues. And um, we saw the, the agency trying to take away things that we'd negotiated in, in the past. And so in the sense of maintaining the status quo, it was a victory. But I was so discouraged because I thought that we could make the workplace better. And notwithstanding all of that effort and all of the drama and picketing and editorials and congressional hearings and government accountability reports, we ended up with the status quo. We were still in business, but it was the status quo. Nothing had changed in the workplace. And so I, I thought, man, there must be some other way. But I didn't know any other way. Uh, so the, to the credit of the agency... Um, they, too, were becoming a little more reflective, and we were trying to figure out how we might, um, how we might create a common vision for the work that we were doing together. And so they introduced a couple of people, um, actually from the University of Michigan, from their social research center, I think it was, who uh, facilitated us. Uh, for about 18 months. And uh, these two facilitators <clears throat> taught me that there was another way. There was a way to behave in relation to someone else 
where something new and different could be created that neither one of us had in mind before we started our discussion. Now, they call that collaboration, and I think it's a great definition. And it, it, it taught me that it's possible if I can be um, authentic, if the other person can be authentic, if we can identify our interests, we can, we can be innovative in ways that we're uh, far beyond what we could do acting alone. And so we applied those learnings and with um, very great success. Um, and it was only in one agency. And then when um, uh, Bill Clinton became president in 1992 um, and the reinventing government um, effort was underway, um, <clears throat> several union leaders went to the president and said, we need to um, have an executive order that um, mandates labor management relationships that are based on collaboration and interest-based problem solving. <clears throat> so he did that, ultimately. And there were a lot of really great results. So I was very much encouraged by that experience that people who had been beating each other up for years and years and years were able to offload that baggage in the interest of creating a better government. So I saw it, I felt it, and I experienced it. I didn't want to give it up. Good for you. I'm so glad you didn't give it up. You know, and, and um, again, you know, that, that word collaboration is such a, and I'm finding in the work that I do, you know, that there's always an idea that animates us. And there's maybe one theme, whether it's in my case, I love to work with vision. Um, I hear you saying collaboration, you know, and it's amazing how, how an idea can really organize a whole understanding about uh, something as important as leadership and, uh, and a way forward for people. Um, you know, I'm curious about who inspires you, who sort of who's, uh, whose leadership inspires you? We're going to take a break again in another minute, but who are, who are your inspirations, Bob? Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear if, if you ha if you have someone who comes to mind who you think of as your inspiration or one of your inspirations as a leader. Does anyone come to your mind? Yes. Yes. Um, I think. Probably the most impressive uh, federal sector leader <clears throat> was a person by the name of Charles Rosati. He became the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. And um, at a time very similar to today when the IRS was in trouble because it had um, um, slipped into excessive collection um, from taxpayers, and it was under intense congressional scrutiny. And he, um, so the law changed in 1998. He came in in 1999. Um, 1997, the law changed, and he came in in 98. 
And he was a person who was the head of a consulting firm. He'd never dealt with unions ever in the past. And so his first contact with me was, was hooked me because, you know, when new leaders come into agencies, they regularly would have someone call the union president for a meeting and there would be a discussion about how the relationship was going to change and everything was going to be better in the future. And of course, nothing ever happened. But he didn't do that. Um, you know, I wrote him the letter saying, congratulations, you've been selected and I look forward to working with you. And so he immediately called me on the phone and he said, I can't talk to you now because my nomination is pending. But, you know, when I, when I get confirmed, I, I really want to speak to you. And I said, great, thinking one more, one more time. But as it turned out, he was confirmed at 11 o'clock at the, in the morning, and he called me at 11.15, and he said, I'd like to see you. I said, when? He said, well, how about tomorrow? I said, fine, come on over. And he did. He's the first commissioner to come visit the union in its headquarters. Wow. You know, Bob, to stop you right here so we can take a break, but we're going to sit on the edges of our seat till we get back. I'm Kate Ebner. This is Bob Tobias. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back. My guest is Bob Tobias. I'm Kate Ebner, and we're talking about leadership um, particularly in the government sector, and we're in the midst of a great story. So, Bob, picking up where you left off, he came over, and you had a conversation. Go ahead. So um, I reserved a large conference room because, you know, big, big government officials have a large retinue of people who and handlers and, you know, and all of that. And uh, he appeared in the lobby, and he was all by himself. And so I brought him into my office, and he started the conversation by saying, I've never worked with unions before. I really have some ideas about how to make the IRS better. And I think that in order to make that happen, employees in the IRS have to be involved through their union. I want their expertise to make the IRS better, and I'd like your help in making that happen. Now, that's pretty extraordinary for any person to say to anyone. He said it at the first meeting, and I believed him. I believed him. And that was the beginning of a very great relationship with a guy who I thought and continue to believe is an extraordinary leader. So we uh, worked together on this project, and in the end, there were about 1,500 people working on a reorganization of the IRS uh, from geographic to functional. Every single person had a different reporting structure, and uh, several hundred people had to reapply for jobs because the jobs had changed. So we had 1,500 people working on this effort in the end, 750 appointed by me, 750 appointed by Commissioner Rosati, working in joint teams. And the decision-making process was strive for consensus decision-making, which meant that the parties would work together. But in the end, if they couldn't agree, the manager could make the final decision. In the hundreds of meetings that occurred, that never happened. The parties were able to reach consensus, including the commissioner on some of the very toughest issues. But he just kept working at it. I'm glad you're telling this story because I think it helps us and those listening to really hear how this works in in real life. You know, how how you 
how you can create a big change. So keep going. So in 18 months, the switch was flipped. And, you know, employees went home with one organization and came back on Monday with another one. And not one grievance was filed anywhere in the country. 125,000 people. Not one grievance was filed anywhere in the country because they had all been included and involved in the effort. Wow. That's a great, great, great story. I want to shift us to the present time and ask you, knowing what you do know about the this you know state of leadership in in our agencies um, what do you what do you think is needed today is it more stories like this is it um, you know how do we get people collaborating and, and getting things unstuck well I think um, the basic definition of of um Competence needs to be enhanced. Currently, the um, Office of Personnel Management defines the five executive core competencies that are needed uh, to be shown by candidates um, for admission into the senior executive service, and they're mostly skill-based. I think we need to redefine success um, uh, to include the necessary mental and emotional capacity that's uh, needed to create a collaborative, interdependent learning environment that leads to increased employee productivity. So we need to enhance the skills so as to include personal development. Otherwise, we're going to remain stuck. <clears throat> So really, what what you're saying is we need to st- expand our definition of what's needed to go move beyond the doing part of leadership, the skills part of leadership, to a, a much broader and and um, as you know, I, I'm trying to think of a a way to say what you've been saying, which is. Um, you know, expand the capacity to lead and understand the the mindset of leadership to include not the old winning losing paradigm that you once worked in, but this idea of um, shared success or creating conditions where people can collaborate successfully. Um, Bob, what stops people from collaborating? Well, you know, I think we're socialized not to collaborate. For much of our life, you know, it's about winning and losing. You know, it's about winning and losing. It's not about um, working together in a classroom to achieve a goal. Now, there are a lot of a lot of um, public schools and private schools who are who are um, introducing something different. But for a long time, it's all about. What do I achieve as an individual student? I'm never challenged to work with others. I never work on a project together. Um, I work alone. And if I work alone, I'm either winning or I'm losing. So I think we're socialized. And the workplace is socialized for winning and losing. If you look at most 
evaluation systems. It's all about what I do as an individual performer. It's not how, it's not whether I exhibit the capacity to work together. It's not whether I actually work together to produce a product that's better. It's what do I do individually? You're right. I mean, I and I even see that we we do, you know, we work with many adult students at Georgetown. We also, I also do some work with other universities and MBA programs. And I think, I think that it's very interesting to see the way that even in our learning, the learning experiences we offer um, people as adults, you know, we tend to. Um, people still have an expectation that they're going to walk into the room and that they they're dependent upon themselves to get good a good grade you know i see a lot of anxiety among students when it's time to be on a team because they need to trust each other and learn a shared way of creating a uh, you know a, a a project and it feels risky <laughs> especially when they're busy and um it doesn't always happen you know sometimes you see people pull back into that um, out for myself or, you know, we want to be with, with we want, don't want to take any risks of losing. And so it's really, it's really very interesting to, to, I hope people listening are really paying attention to this point about redefining success, much less as an individual outcome and instead really seeing the, the greater potential of a collaborative success or a shared success. And I, and I think in the story you told, you know, the idea that this prominent leader showed up to have a conversation and his very first move was to express uh, a request for help um, is, a, is a great illustration of how an opening for collaboration um, and, and a, a wonderful story. What do you wish that people knew, Bob, you know, people who are listening to this? Like if, if you were giving them advice about sort of how to get started in making this shift um, what's the first step? You know, it's everybody, when I ask students, so have you ever worked for someone for whom you are willing to give your discretionary energy? Everybody raises their hand and says yes. Sometime in my career, sometime in my life, it's happened. Then I ask them to identify, okay, so what were the behaviors that this person exhibited? They're always the same. This person developed me. They supported me. They mentored me. They had my back. They empowered me. Always the same. Always the same 10 or 12 behaviors identified. So I chart them, and then when, when they finish, I say, okay, so is there any news on this list? People look at it and they say, well, no, there's nothing insightful or breakthrough. In Bob, you're case. a little bit fuzzy as you're talking, and I'm not sure why, but I, I wanted to just let you know that because you're getting to the good part. So, All right. so I ask people um, to, to um, if there's any news based on what's on that list. And they say, no, they know all those things. They know all those things. And then, of course, I point out, do you see subject matter expertise on the list? And, of course, subject
subject matter expertise is never on the list. Mm-hmm. So then I say, all right, so here we are, all of you who are leaders, and you've identified what your bosses, some of your bosses in the past have done to lead you to give your discretionary energy. If I were to interview every one of you, your, of, of the people you lead, how many of them would say, I'm willing to give my boss 100% of my discretionary energy 100% of the time? And it's at that point in every class that students start to recognize it's about them and holding themselves accountable for the relationships that they create with those they lead as their most admired bosses did with them. So really the invitation to anyone listening is to start with yourself. Yes, indeed. I wonder also, you know, as you, as you, as you reflect on um, this conversation we're having here today, um, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed listening to you talk about your work and how it works and what people do. And I've also really enjoyed listening to the, to the philosophy that I think really emerges through this conversation. And um, one word you referred to earlier that we haven't spoken too much about is authenticity. And we just have one more minute in the show, but you know, when you invite someone to be authentic, Bob, what are you really inviting them to do? Well, I'm, I'm inviting them to um, first learn who they are, because I, I need to know who I am in order to connect with you. And I invite them to be relationally transparent, which is oh so difficult for all of us. If I can do that, I can create safety because I don't have to one-up you. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I can say, gee, I don't know. What do you think? Which is so freeing in most groups but rarely occurs. So being relationally transparent means is that a way of saying sort of uh, being yourself, no hidden agenda, no um, no mask, no armor. <laughs> no masks. It means no masks. It means, no. it means that I am intellectually, I'm sharing the ideas that are in my mind, and I'm also sharing the emotions that are in my heart that allow me then to connect both with my head and my heart. And from here, we can collaborate, right? That is correct. Because there's no barrier between us. Fabulous. You know, it has been a pleasure to have you on this show today. And um, I hope that people will go and Google your program, uh, the Key Leader Executive Certificate at American University, and learn more about your work, Bob. It has really been a pleasure to have you. And I uh, so appreciate the exploration of these important ideas in leadership. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.